Well, it's truly a blessing and an honor to be with you here today and this evening. And uh, one of the greatest blessings is what we just participated in, the Lord's Supper. And really what you'll see tonight in the message that God has for us from his word as we attempt to understand this big idea of holiness that I'll flesh out for us in a little bit is that this uh, the reality of what we practice here with the Lord's Supper is something that should motivate us. This is why Jesus tells us to do these things in remembrance of him. He wants us to remember that the high cost of what needed to happen for you and I to have peace with God He wants us to remember the precious blood and the treasure that it is that the perfect God-man, someone just like us, yet fully transcendent and with all the qualities of God, had to come to this earth, step down from his throne in heaven, had to live a perfect life on our behalf, die the death that we deserve, and then defeat death once and for all so that we could have peace with God. Isn't that amazing? And that's precisely the motivation for tonight's message. We're going to begin in Hebrews 12, Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. And we're going to answer this question tonight, or at least attempt to, what is holiness? What is holiness? And the writer of Hebrews gives us a reason to ask this question because there's an implication here that is serious and we must consider it. In fact, every one of us have to have an answer to this question, what is holiness? Because I'll contend to you from the scriptures tonight that It's absolutely necessary and essential for us to attain holiness. You'll see why shortly. This is what God says. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet. So that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone. Ready? And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See, when you read that latter part of what we just read in Hebrews, you'll realize something real quick. There seems to be something about holiness that God is telling us in the book of Hebrews that that we need to attain. And actually, the matter is really urgent because if we don't attain it, the Bible says that we will not see the Lord. And so if we want to see the Lord, if we want to be in his presence, when our time here is done on this earth that he's given us, we have to answer the question, what is holiness? We also have to answer the question, how do we get it? So before we go and continue, let's pray so that God can be with us And open our minds and our hearts to understand his word. God, thank you so much 
that you have done everything, Lord, your body broken and your blood shed to attain this holiness that we need to be in your presence. And so today from your word, God, will you teach us what holiness is? Will you help us to understand how we can attain it? Oh, God, will you soften the hearts and the minds of the people that are here? Perhaps there's some visitors, God, that need to understand this matter urgently because they haven't made a profession of faith. They haven't trusted the Savior. Be with us today, God. Open our minds and open our hearts so that we may understand the treasure of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So the writer, the writer of Hebrews makes a pretty startling remark in verse 14. He says, strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. This is startling and serious and weighty because God is saying that access into his presence requires holiness. Therefore, we can conclude that whoever does not have holiness will not see God. This means that you and I must attain the holiness, this holiness that God is talking about in Hebrews at all costs because the implication is that it is something we have to have before we die. The writer is making this an urgent matter. Do you see? God, in fact, is making this an urgent matter. Before we see the risen Lord... Or in other words, before we die, we have to attain this holiness. So if we must attain holiness, naturally we must ask two crucial questions to have assurance that we've attained it. And that is, what is holiness and how do we get it? So the first question we're going to attempt to tackle tonight is, what is holiness? Our translation for holiness comes from the Hebrew word kadosh, which means to cut. To be holy means to, to, to be cut off or, or separate from everything else. It means to be in a class all your own, distinct from anything that has ever existed or will ever exist. Kadosh means a second thing, though. To be holy means to be entirely morally pure all the time in every way possible. And this is the point where we're like, whoa. This is what I need to be in the presence of God? Yes. Yes, it is. We often focus, though, on the second part of holiness all the time. We think holiness is only about moral good and moral perfection. But I want you to see holiness the way God teaches us to see it in his word. I want us to have a biblical definition of holiness, a total and complete definition of holiness, so in my attempt to understand the biblical definition of holiness, there's two categories that I think we can come to here so that we can get a complete definition of it, biblically speaking. Number one is there's distinctiveness. Holiness is to be distinct, the quality of being clearly different, of a different kind, separate. Number two is there's devoutness. Holiness is, is, is this idea of being devout, which means committed to divine worship or service. 
And in fact, this is the part of holiness where, where our moral character, our purity, and our conduct plays out. But I want you to see tonight the motivation for this. The first one is about our position, and the second one is about our purpose in life. How we carry out the holiness that we have and that is given to us by God. We need to understand first where holiness comes from so that we truly understand how we can get it and why we should even want it. So where does holiness come from? It comes from God. Holiness comes from God. First, we need to understand holiness comes from God. Remember the first part of biblical holiness is distinctiveness and separation, being of a different kind. That's God. He's of a different kind. Well, you might be asking, okay, well, how is he distinctive? How is God other? How is he of a different kind? Well, the Bible tells us how he is, number one. God is distinctly transcendent. See, he is the creator and we are the created. Do, do you see the difference? Do you see how he's other? He's of a different kind. He's transcendent. He's not like us because he is different. He's the cause of all things. Look at what it says in Genesis chapter 1 about God's transcendence. Sometimes when we arrive at a scripture, we tend to just look at maybe a zoomed out main idea of what's going on. But when you pay attention to the details, you realize, oh, there's something even better there for me if I dig deeper Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you see? Do you see how he's distinctive? Do you see how right there in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible never attempts from the beginning of our story, from the beginning of God telling us where our origins come from and who we are. Immediately you see God's transcendence. The Bible never attempts to prove God's existence. God's existence is assumed in Genesis 1. In other words, he existed before everything he created. Right here, right at the beginning of Genesis 1, we see that God is making a declaration in his word. He is the cause of creation. That's pretty transcendent. That's pretty distinct. That's of another kind. He's different. He's of a different kind. He's holy. This is part of what makes God holy. He is transcendent. He is of another kind. God is the cause of everything that you see, everything that you can hear, everything you can touch and taste and feel has its beginning in him. This is what makes God distinctive. This is one of the things that makes him transcendent. He caused the world to exist by his will and for his glory because he wanted to. And right there in Genesis 1, we get a taste of it. In Hebrews 3, verse 4, the Bible says this, For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. You see? He's distinctive. He's transcendent. He's the creator. We're the created. He's outside of the creation. 
God is distinctive. This is part of what makes him holy. This is part of what makes him worthy. He's the rightful ruler of creation. He's the creator. We're the created. He's the creator. Everything is his creation. He's the one that built, that made, that caused creation. This is what separates him from everything. This is what makes him other. In other words, we know this to be true. A house, a car, a fill-in-the-blank is built by someone, right? It just doesn't come to be on accident. But God is distinct. He's completely other. He is the one who made all things. But, ready? Nobody made him. Nobody made him. He's distinct. He's of another kind. There's no one like him. Look at what it says in Exodus 15, verse 11. This is Moses. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? See, right there we can just pass that up, but if we realize what Moses is saying, you realize that he, he understands who God is, and he's worshiping be- him because of it. See, See, Moses, we, we all know the story of the burning bush where, where he's in front of God and he realizes that he's on holy ground. There's something about God that's so transcendent, so different, so other, that Moses, call, he's, he's captured by it. But not just that, Moses says here in Exodus 15, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You know what he's probably referring to? All the things that God not only created, but he actually saw God do. You see, when we look at what happens in the book of Exodus, when we look at what happens when God Almighty, through his power, uses this humble servant to cause salvation and redemption of his people and parts the sea. Who is like that? Who is like that? Who can just part the sea and hold it back so that his people can go safely onto land and lead them through? This is what Moses is in awe of. This is what we should be in awe of. This is what makes God transcendent, different, of another kind, worthy of our praise, worthy of our commitment. Doing wonders, oh, parting a sea, that's easy for God. He can do that at the snap of his finger or at the whim of his breath. But Moses is probably not only thinking about that because right when Moses goes to Pharaoh, sent by God, given authority and power by God to accomplish the redemption of his people, you know what he does? One by one, every God that Egypt worshipped, every little G-God, I like to call them, he defeats them. By every plague, he defeats every God, showing his power over him, showing his otherness, showing his 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 ability to just do what he wants and what he wills, showing that he is the one true God. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He's the one with the power. He's the rightful ruler of the world. 
He's different. He's of another kind. He's holy. He's distinctive. But that's not the only way he's distinctive. Number two, God is distinctive because he's, he's distinctly powerful. He creates everything we know, but you ready how he does it? He does it with ease. He creates everything we know, but he does it with ease. He, he just speaks and things happen. He commands and things appear. Listen, if you don't believe me, look at Genesis 1 with me quickly. Genesis 1. Genesis 1, beginning at verse 3. God says, let there be light. Let there be light, and there was light. Genesis 1, verse 4 through 5. He names the lights, indicating lordship over the lights. In the ancient world, in the oriental world that we're talking about here, naming something means that you have sovereignty over it, means that you rule over it. Do you see, right from the beginning of time, he's not only telling us our story and our history and introducing to us who he is and who's in control, but he is showing us, listen, I named these things. I caused them to be into existence by my power with ease. I spoke and there was light. I named the lights. They're mine. They're my possession. How much more are we his possession? He's our rightful ruler. He's the one who we owe our breath to. He's the creator. This is part of what makes him different, other, of a different kind, transcendent. Genesis 1 verse 6, by his own power, the Bible reminds us here, God divided horizontally the mass of waters in which the earth was situated. I don't know about you, but I can't do that. Sometimes I can't even make hot chocolate. <laughs> but do you see how different God is? He's of a different kind because he's the creator. He's the creator. He's the one that, that has the source of power because he is the source of power that sustains us. He shows us this in creation. He shows us again. He is distinct. He names the things that are his possession. Genesis 1.9, again, God, by his own power, creates. And God said, do you see? He creates by his own power. He dictates by his own breath. When he speaks, things happen. Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. Ready? And it was so. He just said it and it happened. Do you know anybody like that? God. God's like that. And after everything he creates so far, he proclaims that these things are all good. Because every good thing comes from God, the Bible reminds us. The psalmist reflects on this day of creation when he says this about God in Psalm 33, verses 7 through 9. Psalm 33, verses 7 through 9. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in the storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. 
Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Do you see it? Do you see how different he is? Do you see he's of a different kind? So we understand that part of holiness is to be separate, distinct, set apart. But we also remember the second part of holiness. And we'll see here that God is also, ready, distinctly wise. He's not like us. Proverbs 2, verse 6 through 8 says this about God's wisdom. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Do you know the source of wisdom? It's God. Do you see? He's different. We get wisdom from God. He's the source. We get knowledge and understanding from God. He's the source. This is what makes him transcendent. In all of these areas that you will see tonight, you will see that he is the source of these things, and all of these things are good because they come from him. And they're all a part of his holiness. It's a part of what makes him holy. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Psalm 147, verse 5. Great is our Lord and, great, and, and of great power. His, ready? His understanding is infinite. Do you know anyone like that? God is. God's like that because he's the source of wisdom. He's the source of understanding. You see, all wisdom and understanding comes from God. And by it, he creates everything that he creates. Do you see? Do you see? God is also distinctly present and existing. In 1 Kings 8, verse 27 the Bible says this, but will God, in, will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. You, you know what he's saying? The writer's saying, God, you, you can't even be contained by the whole earth. There's something about you that's different, that's transcendent. You are present everywhere and at every time. He is talking about God's omniscient, uh, omnipresence. The reality that, that God is so transcendent, so different, so other, that he can be everywhere at every time, and he is. And, and even the world cannot be filled, too filled. God, God exceeds that even. Jeremiah 23, verse 23 to 24, says this about God. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? Do you see what God is saying about himself? We can't hide from him. <laughs> There's no secrets to God. He's everywhere at every time. He knows us intimately and deeply this is part of what makes him different. Psalm 139, this might be familiar to you. Verses 7 through 12. Where shall I go from your spirit? 
or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the outermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Do you see? He's everywhere at every time, in every place. He can't be contained. There's something different about our God. And that is worthy of us living a life separate and holy unto him. Do you see? Because he's a separate and holy God. He's worth it or worthy as we were singing earlier. Thirdly, God is distinct in his purity. This is part of what makes God holy and of a different kind. He is free from any moral wickedness or evil. He is unable to tolerate the presence of sin. That's who God is. Habakkuk 1.13 says, You who are of pure eyes, then to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? God's eyes are pure and true. From him comes perfect purity, perfect morality. He cannot sin. This is part of what makes him of a different kind. Do you know, as we're going through this, I want you to consider not that this is so weighty, that God is so transcendent that we can't come to him, but that maybe it might cause us to have a new and refreshed reverence for him. He is worthy of that because he's of a different kind. Because he's the rightful ruler of the world and so he's the rightful ruler of my life and your life. Whether we accept that truth or not, it doesn't make it any true or any it doesn't make it wrong. In other words, whether we accept the truth about who God is, it doesn't make it different. He is who he is, and he is worthy of our praise. Psalm 12, verse 6, the words even of our Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times the number of perfection. Do you see? Even his words are perfect and holy. It's what makes him different and distinct. Psalm 18, verse 30, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Is that you today? Are you taking refuge in our perfect God? Do you believe and can you say with the psalmist that his words prove true because they do. They do. In a vision to Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, we get an idea of how morally pure and distinct God is by contrast between God's holiness and Isaiah's impurity. And this is what it says in Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 5. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. 
Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another, said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me. This is Isaiah in the presence of God's holiness. Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Do you you see Isaiah is there and we see the contrast between God's holiness and man's man's unholiness. We we see how holy God is because just like Moses, when, when Isaiah is in the presence of God, there's something about his holiness that's almost a bit scary compared to our uh, lack of holiness. So God's holiness is distinct in that there's no one like him and distinct in that he is perfectly moral and good and pure. So with that being said, uh, now that we know what God's holiness looks like and where holiness comes from, we can understand what does human holiness look like and why do we need it. The reason we started with defining God's holiness is because we can't understand our own holiness apart from his, you see. You'll see why in a second. Because humanity gets their holiness from God because he gives holiness to mankind as a gift from the beginning. Because holiness is what enables human beings to be in God's presence, positionally. So in other words, we can be in the presence of God through the holiness that he gives us. See, as a matter of fact, we can only be in the very presence of God if we are holy. It's a gift that he gives humankind from the beginning to enjoy him and be cared by, by or for by him. To walk with him and talk with him. Holiness is why we can be with God. God gives us this gift because it is the only way, the only way humans can know him and be known by him. Let's look at the creation of man so that you can see how God gives us this gift. In verse 26 of Genesis Chapter 1, the Bible says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. See, in verse 26, first we see that God makes man out of his own power. And he actually names man. Do you see, remember when God names something? What does that mean? It means that he has rightful possession over that thing that he names. He's the rightful ruler over that thing. 
that he creates. In verse 26, God makes man distinct. He, he says he makes us after his own likeness. So man is completely separate and different than the rest of creation. This is why when he makes man, he says that man is very good. Every other thing that he creates, he says is good. But not man, because there's something about us that's different, separate, of a different kind. We're made in his likeness, in his image. There's something different about us from the beginning. And, and I will uh, say to you that I believe that part of this is that out of the image of God, we, we get the gift of his holiness. That is part of it. Man is holy in this, in this place at this time. Man shares some of God's spiritual qualities, even shares in God's rule over the earth. He gives them dominion. He, he says, hey, listen, I'm not only going to make you in my image. I'm not going to only share my goodness with you, my holiness with you. But on top of all of that, I'm going to give your life a purpose. You're going to be my regents on this earth that I created for you. You're going to rule over the earth. And as you submit to me, you will be the rulers of the earth and I will work through you. That's really great. Do you know that no other God, even no other little G God even claims that? No other little G fake idol God even claims to want to share his image, share his likeness, give man dominion and rulership over the earth. Do you know why? Because they're all false. They're all false gods. Verse 26, God gives man yet another gift. He gives him rule over the earth and everything in it. Verse 27, God gives man the gift of otherness. He shares his holiness and his rule with man because in God's original design, man was created to be of him and with him. That's why we need holiness and, and he gives us this as a gift. In the garden. He gives us the good life. What's the good life? What do you think the good life is? Just give me some ideas here. What, when, when you hear this phrase, the good life, what do you think that means to you? Or what does it mean to you? Being holy. Ah, oh, man, well, I guess I got to leave now. <laughs> what else? Any other ideas? What's the good life? Eternal life? Yes. Any other ideas? Peaceful life? Peace? Anything else? For Pastor Crompton, is the Eagles winning? <laughs> For Pastor Walker, it's Michigan finally getting a championship. We won't talk about Detroit, though. But see... Holiness is the reason that we can have the good life that God has for us. See, man's holiness allows them to enjoy the good life. The good life is man's ideal reality. God living with man in a perfect place where God rules over creation and he shares the blessings of his holiness with his likeness, man and woman. That's the good life. That's the good life. In Eden, God anticipates every human need and circumstance. 
all the all that God created was good and man could enjoy the closest, most intimate relationship with him. That's the good life. And it's produced and given to us as a gift because of the holiness of God. I want you to see it. Genesis 2 verse 8. You can turn there if you'd like. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Do you see? That's the good life. God plants a garden for man. See, he's already anticipating all of man's needs down to the very detail. I'm going to put you in this garden, and, and you know what? I'm going to provide every single need. You, you have a physical need, man. Here you go. I'm going to put you in this garden that I created specially for you. That's the good life. And that's produced by God's holiness and his care for us, his creation, his possession. Genesis 2, verse 25, another part of the good life. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. You might say, what? what what's, what's the good life about that? Well, man was not ashamed, you see. Because in the good life, in the garden that God created, because of his holiness, because he's given us holiness as a gift, because everything good emanates from his holiness and, and his power. Listen, this is what happens. In the garden, there's, there's no anxiety. There's no depression. There's no shame. There's no guilt. There's just perfect, intimate relationship with God and his created order. That's the good life. They, they didn't experience any shame, Adam and Eve. They didn't know what it was like to, uh, to have to run away from God yet or, or be guilty because they've committed a sin or, or have a hard physical day of work and be completely tired and wore out. No, no, the good life was there because of God's holiness and provision for them. Genesis 1 verse 30. God gives man every green herb for meat. The Bible says man doesn't even have to worry about nourishment. That's the good life. They had it. They were living it. Genesis 2 verse 9. God designs every tree in the garden, especially for man. The trees were set apart for his set apart ones in the garden. That's the good life. This is what true holiness is about. See, true holiness is about wholeness. It's about being separate like God unto God rather than being separate from God. But see, what ends up happening, as you will see later on, is that a fall happens. An enemy comes and he attacks the holiness of God's creation. And he attacks the wholeness that we had with God from the beginning. You see, our genealogical family and ancestors, Adam and Eve, they decided that they were going to exchange the truth of God for a lie. And they made a terrible decision, but we all share in that, don't we? Sometimes we exchange the truth of God for a lie. The fall snatches away God's holy place with man, snatches away the good life. Meet the enemy of holiness, Satan. 
Isaiah 14, 12 to 14, we learn that Satan, who experienced a measure of this holiness, was the first of God's created things to exchange holiness for haughtiness. He thought himself to be God, or he wanted to be like God. He wanted to be like God. Really, he wanted to be God. He no longer wanted to live in in holy separation to God, to his service, enjoying his care and protection and provision. No, he wanted to be God. He opted for unholy separation from God for himself. He exchanged holiness for autonomy. And that's really what we do when we decide to reject the truth of God's word and his care. We exchange holiness for autonomy. And see, autonomy sounds like it's independence, but really it's separation from God. See, we weren't created. Remember from the beginning, we were created to, to, to live in God's holiness. He shares it with us. And in that, we see what the blessings of God's holiness was. His perfect protection, his perfect provision, everything. Perfect relationship with him. What would cause us to want to get rid of that? For autonomy? Independence? No, God, I don't want your provision I don't want your protection. I don't want a close and personal relationship with you. I don't want to be cared for by you. I don't want to be a a, a regent of your rulership on this earth. Oh, no, God, I don't want that kind of purpose. Instead, I just want autonomy. But when we do that, we act like Satan. We act like Lucifer did. We exchange closeness and holiness with God for haughtiness and separation from God. He wanted the throne. He wanted to be the one who named names and possessed things, the things of this world and really the people of this world. He wanted to be the ruler of the world. If we're honest with ourselves tonight, some of us can't stand the idea of holiness because we want the throne. We want the throne. We want to rule. We don't want God's gift of holiness and all the good that comes with that. We want autonomy, which is separation from God, rather than holiness, which is separation unto God. Tonight, what we try to do is define what holiness is and where it comes from and how we get it, which is a gift from God to his creation. We also saw that holiness has made an official enemy from before time began, the father of lies, Satan himself. And I ask you tonight as we wrap this up, hopefully you understand that we have a motivation to live a separate and holy life unto God. Because if you get anything else out of this, message tonight and this thought from God's word, you can get this, that holiness is really the way God designed for us to be able to be in his presence. And we saw that in his presence in Genesis, in the garden, guess what? We had everything that we needed. We had his perfect provision, his perfect protection, 
perfect and close, intimate relationship with God, when we allow ourselves to take the throne, we decide that we're the ones that get to name names and possess things and be in possession of our own life. And we rob God of his worthiness. We rob God of his place, his rightful place as ruler of this world and ruler of our life. Oh God, that we might not do that, but that we might just treasure the gift of his holiness. And I don't have time to get into it with you guys tonight. But if you want, you can really follow this whole theme of holiness and how not only we lose it, but is restored in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. If you want to read Matthew 4, you'll see that everything that Adam and Eve do to lose holiness in the garden is, is fought for and defeated in Matthew 4 when Jesus is actually tempted by Satan himself. If you permit me for a second here, I'd just like to show you before I end because I just can't help it. I'd like you to see it. I want you to see what Jesus does here when he restores holiness. In Genesis 1, when the ser uh, or in Genesis 3, verse 1, the serpent had, uh, the serpent begins to talk to Adam and Eve. And the interesting thing about this when you study it is that Eve should have known better. The serpent catch, catches her almost already leaning in the direction of sinning against God and exchanging her truth for a lie. And holiness seems to be threatened already. Right? And the serpent, by the way, is the first animal from my understanding, and I talked to some of the pastors here as well, that even speaks at this time in human history. I don't know if you realize that. And so as, as Eve is kind of lusting over this uh, tree that God said is not good and will indeed cause death, the serpent, which is the craftiest animal in the garden, he is basically used of Satan to trick Eve and deceive her to exchange a truth uh, for a lie and to, you know, try to give a death blow to the holiness that allows us to be in the presence of God. And this is what happens. In verse 1, she makes her first mistake. She listened to Satan. Do you see? Up to that point in creation, Adam and Eve were listening to God. Remember when we said from Proverbs that one of the things that makes God transcendent is that from him comes all wisdom? From him comes all understanding? That was her first mistake. Why would you listen to the created thing over the creator? She started listening to him, verse 1, chapter 3. Verse 2, the second mistake, she responded to Satan. She, she, she engaged him. She allowed not only herself to listen to him, but she engaged and responded to him. And by verse 6, she makes her last and death blow mistake. She yielded to Satan and actually sinned against God. Verse 6, she saw the tree and coveted the tree. 
Verse 6, she thought it was pleasant. She ignored God's clear command and warning about the tree, and she began to place herself on the throne of God. She exchanged God's provision of wisdom for Satan's perversion of knowledge. That's what she did. But I want you to see something, and then this will end our time together. What happens is that Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, he reverses everything. He reverses everything. Getting here, just give me one second here. In Matthew chapter 4, this is what happens, uh, beginning at verse uh, 3. Eve listened to Satan. Remember we talked about that? But Jesus listens to God. Because immediately when Satan comes, what, what, is, what does Jesus do? He uses what is right. Instead of turning to what is wrong, he uses the word of God. See, he knows that wisdom only comes from God. So this is the weapon that he uses against Satan. Eve responds to Satan's invitation favorably. Jesus rejects Satan's offers again and again outright. Do you see, he reverses everything. Eve yielded to Satan's offer weakly. Jesus rejects his offer vigorously no matter how many times he comes back. And then you know what happens? Satan flees. Jesus does everything Adam could not do and Eve could not do so that you and I could have salvation and be restored to the holiness it takes to be with God. And with that, Lord willing, that blessed you, I will pray for us and believe you'll be dismissed. God, thank you so much for this time in your word. Thank you for helping us to understand what holiness is and where it comes from, Lord. But more than that, thank you for doing everything that you needed to do to restore it so that we could have peace with you and once again be living with the benefits of your holiness because of what your son accomplished on the cross. Oh God, let us place our hope in the day when you will restore the new heaven and the new earth and we will once again be able to see you unveiled in an even greater way than even Adam and Eve. God, we long for that day and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.